So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18 today. And we'll get there in just a moment. Now, this is, this is all happening after the first attempt to, to get away from the crowds. You know, last week we saw that. And, and today in our passage, they actually succeed at this as they, they head over with Jesus to the area of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and they get some calmness, some aloneness, some uh, a moment away from, from all the people. And, and Jesus in this moment turns to the disciples, his disciples, and he asks them two questions. And one of the questions that he asks of them is the most important question that you will ever be asked in your life, no exceptions. Um, so let's read these five verses, and then we're just going to dig into the passage and, and see what we see here, what we can learn, what the Lord has to teach us. Uh, and that means, you know, so focus mentally. I know it's easy to get distracted. Uh, and follow along with your eyes as we read Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged, them, charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, what we have just read is your word. You've graciously given it to us to reveal yourself. And so this morning we ask you to open our eyes to see you. Enlighten our minds to understand your word. Lord, please give me wisdom to faithfully proclaim your word this morning. And give us all freedom from distractions to, to listen and learn. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So there are, are times in life when, when suddenly... We'll, we'll see something that we've missed. Maybe something that we've seen so many times before and not been able to make much sense out of it. And then suddenly we wonder, how in the world did we ever miss this? Maybe a math equation that, that looked like a foreign language. And then suddenly, oh, it makes sense to you. Uh, a phrase that was a, a mystery, something from a, a song or that someone spoke, and, and it rolls through your head for, for years and years, and then in a single instant, suddenly it makes sense to us. You see, yes, in a, in a single moment, everything can change. And, and for many of us, our, our coming to believe in Jesus was just like that. That, that one moment, it's just this crazy idea that, that, that God became a man and walked among us and, and that he was nailed to a cross and he died and then three days he's risen again. You, you hear that story and in one moment it just seems like absolute crazy nonsense to, to you. And, and the next moment you just know. You, you, you know this crazy idea is true. You, you know that Jesus is, is real. C.S. Lewis is uh, coming to faith is actually a lot like this. He, he had been pondering the ideas of Christianity for a while, uh, going over them intellectually, trying to make sense out of them, reason to, through them. Uh, but on his own words, he said he just simply could not profess faith in Jesus, that he couldn't believe. 
But, but then in a single moment, he, he did believe. And, and here's how he actually explains that moment. In his book, Surprised by Joy, Lewis says this. I'll just read it to you. He says, I know very well when, but hardly how. The final step was taken. I should have read that differently. I'm going to do that again. I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade, that's a zoo, one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet, I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. See, God did an incredible work in the heart of C.S. Lewis in that moment, giving him, faith, uh, giving him spiritual eyes so that he can see spiritual truth, namely that, that Jesus Christ is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That was redundant, wasn't it? Um, and we're going to come back to what that means, right, for him to call Jesus the Christ. Because nearly 2,000 years earlier, recorded in our passage, which we just read here, the Apostle Paul makes that same profession of who Christ is. And if you know his story, you know that Peter has a great deal to learn about Jesus. He's going to entertain some doubts in his life about Jesus later on. Uh, during his trial, he's going to show some unfaithfulness to the Lord. But in this moment, everything in Peter's life begins to change. Not only for Peter, but for all the apostles here. All but one of the apostles here. And so let's look at this passage and see exactly how, how Peter gets to that moment. Because now, we, we can be certain that, that, that this passage before us, when we're reading it, there, there's one way in the Gospel of Luke that you always know something significant is coming. And that's because seven times in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus gets alone to pray, we, we see something amazing, something significant happen immediately after that. And that's, this is one of those situations. It's no different than the others. Now, we, we don't know the content of his prayer. What we know is that he's been talking to his heavenly father uh, in, in privacy alone. And, and the result is that he comes back to the apostles and he has this interaction with them. Now, if you're like me and, and you read verse 18, you're starting to wonder, and tell me if any of you notice this too, and you start to think, how exactly is Jesus praying alone if the disciples are with him? Those seem to not be normal statements, right? How is he alone if the apostles are with them? And um, I actually had a situation like this. I thought about this this morning, actually. Uh, when, when I was little, I was going to the restroom. I know that's the picture you want on a Sunday morning. Uh, when in comes my daughter, Sadie Piper, when she's a little bitty girl, probably, what, three, four years old. Uh, and she says, Dad, would you like some privacy? Because the door was open. And I say, yeah, that'd be great. And so she steps all the way in and closes the door with herself inside with me. <laughs> and do you know what privacy means? You know, um, th that's kind of what comes to mind here. I'm like, how in the world are they alone? See, what Luke means here is simply that the crowds are not with them. I think we forget how much the crowds are constantly around them, how it's hard to actually have a conversation between Jesus and his apostles without somebody else wanting to have a conversation with him at the same time. And, and so what we have here is that Jesus is alone away from the crowds in, in Caesarea Philippi, and, they, and they're able to get alone and, and pray. And then with the disciples all gathered, he comes up to them, and he, and he asks them this question, Who do the crowds say that I am? 
And it shouldn't surprise us that the answer they give are the same answers we saw back in 7 and 8 when, when Herod is talking about what other people have been saying about who Jesus is. John the Baptist, maybe? Elijah? Or, or maybe some other prophet long ago. Now, some of them thought that it was John the Baptist because, remember, there's no media, there's no photos, no one's passing around pictures of him. Uh, plus, we're in a culture where, where everyone's wearing a robe and a beard, and they all look kind of the same from a distance. Uh, you know, so everything's going to look real similar to him. But, but really the main reason is because the things that people are witnessing Jesus doing are, are very similar to the things they've been hearing John has been doing. And, and so the conspiracy theorists at this time, right, uh, the, the same guys that think the moon landing never happened or that uh, uh, LBJ is responsible for JFK's death, those kind of guys, uh, these guys say Jesus is, is just John who either Herod, Herod never killed at all, uh, or, or, or he has risen back to life somehow. Jesus and, and, and John are the same people, they're saying. And some of them thought, well, he must be Elijah. And they had good reason for it, because uh, there's this prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, and, and it says this. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. But, but as we saw back in chapter 1, that that prophecy is, is fulfilled not in Jesus, but in John the Baptist, who, who goes ahead of Jesus as the herald preparing the way for Jesus. Some said that Jesus was another prophet, either Moses or, or, or Jeremiah or, or one of the other ones. No, notice in these answers, though, that nobody, nobody is saying that he's nothing, right? Everyone knows there's something significant about this man, Jesus. No one's explanation is, eh, he's, he's just a carpenter with, you know, a 12-man posse and a lot of fans, you know. It's, that's all he is. And really, all these answers are, are intended to be compliments, right? None of these are like negative things about him, but also none of them are correct. The crowds of our time are still giving answers to this question, who, who is Jesus? You might have my ideas that come to mind already. Uh, there's this seen in Talladega Nights that's either satire or blasphemous, but I tend to think both. Um, there's a, a dinner prayer going on, and it gets interrupted because everyone at the table wants to say, this is who I think Jesus is. <coughs> they want to identify him. One guy says that his Jesus is, uh, is the baby Jesus from Christmas because that's his favorite Jesus. And, and another one says that he pictures Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt and then elaborates... Uh, because it says, I want to be formal, but also I'm here to party. And then he adds, I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Uh, a little boy then chimes in and he says that he pictures Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. And, and, and the whole thing is supposed to be this humorous idea. And I hope, I mean, it's humorous because it is satire and the way people tend to want to identify Christ in some personal way. Now, if, if only these answers were, uh, you know, these identities of Jesus were limited to, to some sort of fiction, right? But, but that's not the way it is in our world. Uh, the, the organization PETA says that, uh, quite seriously, that Jesus was a vegan, right? That's their identity. That, who is he? He was a vegan. I mean, never mind the lamb at the Passover meal, but uh, he was a, a vegan. Uh, Everclear sang a song titled, Jesus was a Democrat, I'm sure there's some Republican example of the same thing. Uh, Islam wants to say that Jesus was merely a great prophet, right? But a great prophet, uh, but merely a great prophet. And people with genuine sincerity will, will often say something along the lines of this. They'll say, I, I truly admire Jesus. 
since, since he taught and he promoted justice and kindness and, and for people to love each other, Jesus was a good man. And, and they're genuine. They're not trying to insult anything. They're, they're not rude. They're not antagonistic answers, are they? But, but, but neither are they true at the deepest level. Again, C.S. Lewis is helpful here. It's weird that he comes twice in here. You'd think I'd been reading him recently. I haven't been. I've been reading Bridges. Jerry Bridges should be all over this, and he's not. Uh, anyway, in, in his book, wonderful book, uh, Mere Christianity, he addresses this, this common answer that people give that, that says Jesus was a good man. And most of you have probably heard this in your life, but let me, let me just read it to you. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He, he did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he, 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 is, he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange and terrifying uh, or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that Jesus was and is God. So that brings us to the end of question one, as he asked him, which isn't so, so bad there, right? But then Jesus has this follow-up question, and it lands like a dagger to the heart. It, you know, it can't be sidestep. It leaves them just laid bare but before Jesus here as they have to answer it. And Jesus asks them, what do you, who do you say that I am? Now, in the Greek, the word you here is plural, and so you know I'm going to translate it to proper English for you. Literally, what Jesus says here is, who do y'all say that I am. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it's not a Texas bias because Texans would have said all y'all, right? Uh, so proper English, though, is who do y'all say that I am? He, he's asking the whole group of, of apostles at once. Now, but before it was just a question, wasn't it? A, a question of information uh, of uh, who do the people say that I am? It, it was like asking if someone asked you, who won the election last night? Well, let me, let me tell you. Or, or who do people, you know, think's going to win the election? Something of that nature. But, but here in verse 20, it's a personal question. It, it's like asking, who did you vote for? You personally. In fact, the, the word you or, or y'all here is, is emphatic in the Greek, telling us that when Jesus spoke that word, it, it really was emphasized, right? Who do y'all say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I, I love Peter here. I love him all throughout the scriptures. He's, he's so impulsive at times. He's, he, he's that kid in class who, who just shouts out the answer, doesn't raise his hand, and, and, and so often he's not right, and he keeps doing it. In this moment, Peter actually gets it right. Right? This is the kind of thing that motivates him to keep shouting out stuff. You look in verse 20 here, Peter answers with absolute confidence, the Christ of God. You kind of wonder at that moment. He's just, there's no question. 
There's no question mark. It's just you're the Christ of God. Now, now Peter's not the first person to make this statement, even in the Gospel of Luke. You, you remember at Jesus' birth, you, you'll probably, this will come back to you. The, the angels in Luke 2.11, they say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is... Every year at Christmas, Christ the Lord, right? Christ the Lord. And you remember in Luke 2.26 that the Holy Spirit revealed to the old man Simeon uh, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Even the demons in Luke 4.41 say to Jesus, You are the Son of God. And then we're told that Jesus won't allow them to speak further because they knew that he was the Christ. We're seeing it all throughout. So the angels know, and, and Simeon knows, and the demons know that he is the Christ. But now in this moment, the, his disciples must also know that Jesus is the Christ. And they don't fully understand all of this. They, they have so much more to learn, but at least now they know that Jesus, he's the one. He's the one that God promised Jesus is the fulfillment of generation after generation of the Israelites' hope. And so Jesus asks his disciples this question, and it's recorded here because, because Jesus is also asking each one of us this exact same question. Who do you say that I am? We, we can't personalize this enough. You know, you've got to hear it from the, from the words of, uh, of Christ to you. know, Stucky, who do you say that I am? Not me, but, but Christ. You know, put your name in the beginning of that. Because you won't always be able to avoid this question. Sure, right now, you can put it, put it aside and just forget about it. But, but, but inevitably, death will require an answer to this question. And honestly, all of life requires an answer to this question. And listen... Even Judas in this moment after Peter can give the right answer. He can repeat it, right? Um, and so I need you to understand that Peter's answer is, is more than intellectual assent. It's, it's more than just saying the right words here, right? It's, it's a matter of, of actual faith. In fact, when this same event is recorded in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 16, 17, uh, we, we learn there that, that, that Peter gives this answer because God the Father revealed it to him. It was revelation that was given to him. And the same is true for all of us who, who profess Jesus is the Christ today. We see, 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 while it's reasonable, it really is reasonable and rational, rational to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't actually come to believe that by mere reason. Faith is necessary to know that Jesus is the Christ uh, it's a gift that's given by the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. I know when we gather for worship, the emphasis is often on the corporate nature. We do that on purpose. It's not often that we talk about the corporate nature in, in, of faith in, the, in, the, in Christendom today, you know, in the, within Christianity today. But, uh, you know, so we do that on purpose. But there's also a very personal component to our faith as well. No one can, can believe for you. And so if you're to believe, to, you know, if you rather, if you do believe, that's a reason to be grateful to the Lord for the faith, faith that he's given you. And if you're sitting here today and you don't believe, let me just ask you, what, what ultimately prevents you from making a heartfelt confession? 
What, what prevents you from, from acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, that he's your Savior? So I want you to know it really is as simple as Romans 10, 9 and 10 puts it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So then in verse 21 here, Jesus does an unusual thing, an unexpected thing. He commands them, don't you tell anyone that I'm the Christ. Don't tell anyone this. And, and you kind of wonder, you sent us out to preach the kingdom, and you're the Christ, and you don't want us to say anything. What, what in the world? See, the, the reason that he does this is, is because people are going to hear the apostles saying he's the Christ, uh, that they're announcing Jesus is the Christ, and what they're going to picture is, is, is who the Christ is that they've conjured up in their own minds. In other words, they're going to imagine that Jesus, this, this individual, uh, is a political or a military leader, and he's come, and we're going to overthrow Rome uh, because they're our national enemy at the moment, and, and things are going to go wonderful. And so he needs them to know, yes, you know, he's telling the apostles, I am the Christ, but my purpose is so much bigger than that common idea of the Christ. Now, I probably need to go backwards because you might be wondering, what in the world are you talking about Christ? What does that even mean? See, Scripture uses the name Jesus Christ. We tend to think of it as a first and a last name, right? And uh, first name Jesus, last name Christ. It all makes sense to us in our culture. Christ is not a last name. It's, it's a title. Uh, it's like doctor or professor or president or, or something of that nature. And, and so it might actually help to, to know that we also use phrases like uh, Jesus the Christ or Christ Jesus. Those show up in Scripture as well. Now, this word Christ is a Greek word that means anointed. And anointed means to have oil poured on your, your head. So does that simplify everything for you here? Um, right? It kind of sounds like Peter's saying, so... Jesus, you're the one who had oil poured on your head. And we won't tell anybody. That, that's not exactly right. You see, in, in the Old Testament, when a prophet or a priest or a king um, was chosen for that role, the symbolic gesture was to take oil and to pour it on their head, to anoint their head with oil uh, as a sign that this is who they've been chosen to be. And throughout the Old Testament, God reveals that he's going to send uh, a prophet that's greater than Moses, that, that he will send a, 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 an eternal king that is greater than David, that he's going to send an everlasting priest that is, uh, and this unknown person is, is often called the Christ, or in, in Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew word, which is uh, translated Messiah or Savior. That, that's who Jesus is. And so the other people, the people of Israel, they have been waiting for the Christ, right? The Messiah, the anointed one. And to hear Jesus as the Christ is going to give them all these ideas that he doesn't want them to have. Not yet. Jesus also here refers to himself as the Son of Man. You see that there in verse 22? You notice the capital letters? That's not a typo. That's because this too is a title. Uh, it, it's a title found in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, and we're going to learn about this later in Luke because he uses this phrase, Son of Man, over and over and over again. Uh, Jesus does, referring to himself. For, for now, I just need you to know that the Son of Man is a, is a title for an individual who God the Father is going to give great authority to. Right? Great authority. And, and that's what's significant for us here because if you look at the words of Jesus that follow that title, Son of Man, Jesus lays out his future, and it's not what anyone is expecting of the Messiah, uh, right, for the, for the Christ or the Son of God. 
And Jesus says four things must happen, not might happen, not could happen, not should happen, but must happen. And, and in saying that, he's saying, listen, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I, I must be killed because you, you need me to suffer and be rejected and be killed on, on your behalf. It, it, it's necessary so that Jesus, one, can fulfill the prophecy, and two, so that he can be the sacrifice, the payment in, in your place to atone for your guilt. And the suffering was, was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, where Isaiah says this, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, that brought us peace. And with his words, we are healed. Jesus is also going to be rejected by, by, you see the three groups there, the elders, the priests, and the scribes. Those three groups together make up what was called the Sanhedrin. It's the, uh, the Jewish Jerusalem court. And in other words, what he's saying is, is the Jewish leaders are not going to rejoice when they find out the Christ has arrived. Instead, they're going to reject me. And the rejection is going to lead to Christ's death. Now, can you imagine what's going through the apostles' mind here? The first bit of news is amazing, right? They, they know all about the Christ. They are so excited about this. And so to hear, okay, Jesus is the Christ. He really is the Christ. Maybe they had their suspicions. Uh, Jesus confirms it here. And just think, we are, we are with the Christ. We are in his posse. We are going to ride in the glory. It's going to be amazing. And, and there's just joy in hearing that they're part of this. Right? And, and then comes this terrible stuff afterwards. Rejected, suffering, dying, all, all this stuff. And, you know, they might want to ask, are you, are you sure? I mean, can we get a, a second opinion? Or are you open to other ideas? Because I think we could actually get these people to bring about a revolution. We can overthrow Rome. We can go the old way that we're all thinking it should go. And it'll be awesome. People will love you. Right? But that's not the way it must go. This is how it must be, and they know this, and now they can't even say anything to anyone. They immediately know, we're going to look like those crazy people following you. But they also know that he's truly the Christ. And then Jesus tells them that he's going to rise again on the third day, and really this information here only further confirms that we are, we are blind to the gospel until God gives us eyes to see it, because... Jesus really couldn't be more straightforward here about what's going to happen. And still, they don't, they don't really get it. Um, when Jesus later is killed, they're going to feel defeated and they're going to mourn his death, even though Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. Everything. And that three days later, he's going to rise again, but they scatter and panic in that moment. So everything Jesus tells them does indeed, as I said, come true. And, and we're going to see it as we continue to work our way through Luke. That's, that's history. That's truth. But it still, it still leaves us today with this question that every one of us must answer. You already know Peter's answer. Peter's whole life, right, has uh, ups and downs. We're going to see more downs before the ups. Um, but he professes, you know, you're the Christ. 
And he's right. He's right. Um, and, and this is the question, though, you know, asked to every one of us. It's, it's literally, and we're going to end with this, but it is literally the most important question you will ever be asked. More important, do you take this woman, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded? More, more important than any other question ever. And I want you to hear it as it really is, as Jesus asking you this. And we're just going to ask you this, and then we'll finish. Jesus asking, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father, the question Jesus asked the apostles in this passage is the question every man, woman, and child who has ever existed or shall exist must answer. It's the question you ask each of us. For those who, of us who have been given faith to believe, Lord, I ask that you would make that profession to, to match the way we actually think and live and make decisions because you are the Christ. To, to those who cannot make that profession, we, we ask for the Holy Spirit to give faith, to, to be able to say with Peter, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is my Savior. He's my hope. Lord, would you be glorified and would you work mightily in the hearts of all present? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.